Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, I got to tell you about the fabulous, most groovy Bell Bottoms. Bell Bottoms. You guys are dedicated. I yeah, love it. I love it. Yeah, well, that's her, her main thing. I spread all the stuff I get across various Several. things. Yeah, yeah. But she's pretty focused on the one. Yeah. That, that, that would be easier, you know. Like if you got just one passion, at least it's not like like I got to stagger. Okay, you know, I bought a lot of records now. I don't need to buy a lot of records for a while. But yeah. ooh, look, books. Yeah. You know, it, it's. I, I think it might just be easier if I was just about books. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, anytime she goes to hot topics, she's just like got to take me out of here right because there's always like they oh. come up with most the most new stuff yeah so it's yeah. like how many purses do i need that or how many backpacks do i need to have you know something just some little reference you know yeah. what i mean so welcome to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil toronto canada you are listening to episode 179 of the matinee cast it's your movie loving podcast on my movie loving website thematinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective it was just a little over seven years ago that I sat down in the now-defunct Toronto Underground Cinema, uh, next to some other Toronto movie-going folk, and uh, somebody wandered up to to us, who all happened to most of us be podcasters, and said, Hi, my name is Corey. I don't remember this. I do. The first time I ever met you was at the screening of Speed Racer for Defending the Indefensible. I was sitting next to Matthew Price and... Kurt Halfyard, you'd met Kurt by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think I, I was the one who brought him out because yeah, I wanted yeah. his kids to see him. Yeah, and that was—I I think it was the first time like introducing yourself to Price, and I—I mm-hmm. I only knew you as an avatar at the time. I didn't even—I yeah. don't even think, think I knew your name. And um, yeah, that, that was six or seven years ago now, and, and since that time, it's—it's um, it's been quite a quite a wonderful friendship between mm-hmm. my guest today and myself. We've had several different versions of our own podcasts. We've done other people's podcasts. We've. Uh, I, I was at your wedding. For your first episode, we were talking about Ex Machina, and then shortly after that, it was uh, you, Nice yeah. Guys. Uh, no, yeah, I was gonna say the yeah. last time you were here. And then there was, there was nice a couple. Of, there was like a year end mm-hmm. show, I think, too. Yeah. This is all my very long-winded way of saying um, that I'm happy to have friends back on the show today, longtime friends and uh, friends that I've got history with. As I said, Corey Pierce is here. He's a man of several podcasts and several uh, avenues. Um, this the the soundtrack of your life, formerly. Um, Oh, what was the one you did with Greg? It's Critical Mass Cast. Critical Mass Cast, of course. And I guess I was back and forth in the early film junk. Yeah, days. yeah. So, um, how are you, man? On this on this uh, lovely national holiday. Good, good. I'm a little focused on some nerve pain from carpal tunnel, probably. But uh, what did you do? Uh, um, no, I just just I think it's probably Pokemon Go. To be honest, <laughs> I have no idea. There's just some repetitive stress from. From this trigger finger here, that's just uh, oh, getting a little. Getting well, a little you know, like, do you have Monday off? Do you have a nice little three-day weekend? Uh, yeah, thankfully. There we go. Yeah. I, I'm always a bit like, even if I've got nothing to do, I just yeah. love having three in a row off. It's a yeah. wonderful thing. Well, I'm, I'm lucky at my work is that they they organize it so whenever there's a long weekend, they add an extra one on top of it, so Ooh. everybody gets it. Look at you. Nice. We're all fancy. On episode 179, we will be discussing Baby Driver, and we're going to issue the other side this week uh, for something a little bit different that right now I'm calling The Needle and the Damage Done. We'll talk about that later on. First, we need to learn more about Corey. This is Know Your Enemy. (laughs) 
So as fumbled through in our intro, Corey's first appearance was on episode 136. We talked about Ex Machina. We learned at the time that the first film he'd seen in a theater was Pinocchio. The last film he'd watched at the time was the animated G.I. Joe movie. The worst film he claimed to see at the time was the animated version of Titanic. The unseen classic or essential was Seven Samurai. Eh? Still unseen. All right. You should just like leave it unseen. It's, yeah. it's now you know that thing. I've got a couple things that are that thing. Oh, uh, okay. And the film he'd wish he'd made uh, was Freddy Got Fingered. The next time we talked to Corey Pierce was episode 158, where we discussed the nice guys. The film he digs that few other people do, though I do, is Speed Racer. The film everybody else digs that he doesn't is Drive. The last film to make him cry was The Little Prince. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Eldon Henson, uh, Foggy... Uh, yeah, on, I met him. Uh, yeah, how did yeah. that go? Uh, it was at Fan Expo, Yeah, and uh, he was there obviously promoting Daredevil, Daredevil. and stuff like that. And what I did is I, I printed the two pictures of us next to each other when we looked most alike, which was his um, butterfly effect days with the long blonde hair. Okay. Because I had long blonde hair in the mid-2000s or whatever. So I put them side by side, and I signed a copy to give to him, and he signed a copy <laughs> to give to me. And we didn't get a lot of time because it was near the end of his right, run, right. but uh, he had a good laugh about oh, that's that. That's cool. Nice. Um, and the film he was watching next was the BBC version of The Diary of Anne Frank. So time for round three. Mr. Pierce. Yep. What was your first date movie? first date movie uh well if it's like an all-time life it would be batman forever i saw in like a dollar like rerun theater i didn't really have any interest in seeing it we were kind of made out mo most of the time and uh, i love that your date movie was at a dollar theater yeah you're a romantic we were 15, 15 years old and it was just something i don't care I, i'm fascinated by the one dollar batman forever because i actually also wanted to take a girl i was seeing at the time to Batman Forever we actually mm -hmm. got like we, we got the whole sold out thing yeah. back when that was more of a, an issue like you'd go to the theater and just buy your tickets once in a while something would sell out from under you mm -hmm. um, but now this did you, did you grow up in the city? Uh, I grew up in St. Catharines okay so like the one dollar theater was it like around like the university area? Uh, near the Penn Center there was a place called like, uh, like the Pendale which was uh, at some point it was like the like a first run, you okay. know what I mean? Like I remember seeing Jurassic Park there and stuff. And, and then just over time? Just over time, yeah, it turned into the second run before it went away. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, like I mean, when we're teenagers, you don't really want to go, but you still sort of want to go and that yeah. kind of movie. It's like, like I, what do your friends want to see, you get tag, you tag along, or you know, it's only once in a while. And was really it like felt. just with the girl or was it with the, like the thing with like a whole group of you? Uh, no, it was just the girl and man, like that one. <laughs> this is this was the one that ran out into the street and tried to commit suicide oh when I broke God. up with her. <laughs> yeah. What, what? Sorry. When you broke up? Oh man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that good. was like did like the full on like T Michael Jackson pose in the middle of the street. Dear just, Lord, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I just it's it's funny because we have these little like romantic notions of our teenage years and our childhood. Yeah. But when you think about it, like taking the girl to the one dollar theater on its surface seems absurd. Yeah. Or you know like hanging out like we're 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 hanging out over top of a very large football. Field. And I gotta tell you, like almost every night there are teenagers, teenagers hanging out there, and it's yeah. like you're very dazed and confused. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're hanging out in the middle of just like a whole bunch of condos on a football field. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, do something else. But yeah. um, okay, and Batman Forever, one of one of the, one of the one of the worst ones. Yeah, we can be we can be sure. Yeah. 
And apologies in advance because we are kind of taking the round three questions slightly out of order because I know that I know that the question I'm about to ask is usually where I lead. Uh, what was the film, and interpret this in any way you want, to uh, that made your love of film turn a corner? Okay, uh, I went with Election. Election. Okay, ninety eight. Yeah, Alexander Payne, like, like ninety nine. What okay. it was was um, before then. I was I would never see a movie by myself. Okay. Um, but I was living. Like, it was the summer between college, nobody was stuck around, but I was I had to work in Oakville, so it was like basically like, I have to see this or, or I'm not going to see it. Right. Um, and it was, again, another dollar theater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just around, yeah, like some tiny thing. See, that in that bring. respect, I get it. But yeah. when you're taking the girl, yeah. you know, $2 at least. <laughs> show her your show it, was the, it was the dollar theater where all the parents brought their kids and they ran up and down the aisle and nobody uh. did anything about it. But, uh, yeah, it was just like, uh, I... I I went to that um, movie because I just had, for some reason, some urge to it, and it kind of hit like a certain zone of like kind of indie quirky comedy that I had. That wasn't really like so much of a thing, you know. Yeah. Like uh, there's obviously Sundance kind of movies like that around before, but they didn't usually get play in St. Catharines, or so like having access to it was sort of new for a theater. And it was really after that though that I started taking advantage of like the like the small video stores in my neighborhood mm -hmm. and since I had no, no one around nothing to do all summer that was the summer I just started like digging through the archives to find like the weird indie comedies and to be honest that's really really where I first discovered you know Wes Anderson I watched Renting Bottle Rocket and even like I was familiar with a few Coen Brothers movies but I hadn't seen Big Lebowski yet yeah yeah and uh, all these other things so it really kind of like by the end of the summer I was like Big, this big jump, you know what I mean? Until like, okay. my roommate came back from vacation. All of a sudden, there's like tons of VHS tapes around. Going, like, what happened? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, were you? Were you do you have an issue? Like the yeah, summer? Yeah, yeah, and, like, and it gets worse from there. So. <laughs> yeah. You're like, guys, can we sit down and talk about election? Yeah, now that you're all back. Yeah, um, nothing particular necessarily about election. It was just kind of like a. It, it was just it, was, it just right, filled right the hole that was. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I get that. Was that? Um, now you were saying, like, was that kind of the beginning of you going to movies alone? Yeah, I mean, like, the first ones I remember seeing that summer alone, like, there was that, there was American Pie, there was Drop Dead Gorgeous. Right. <laughs> there was uh, the South Park movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember what else. But It's uh, strange because, I mean, I started going, we're, we're the same age, and I started going to the movies alone uh, around the same time, like, that autumn. Mm -hmm. And now I have no qualms with it, of course. Yeah. But at the time, it was like this big deal of, oh, my God, why can't I find somebody to go to this movie with me? Which, on its surface, I think to myself... That's absurd because you sit there in the dark yeah. for two hours. You have I, this, everyone's gonna like think you're weird. Like, yeah, just like self consciousness. Yeah, I, I would, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't entirely understand the self consciousness mm -hmm. of it. Like if it was an event, maybe where, where like like you know when you're seen that kind of thing. Like I I have more qualms about going to a concert alone, and even then I'm fine with that too. Yeah, to be um, honest, most of the time I prefer being at a concert alone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because a, I don't want, I don't want to because I'm because I'm hyper aware of whether or not the people I'm with are having a good time yeah. like if they're looking at their phones and stuff yeah the concert I'm you know more right right no that's that, a yeah. election that's a cool one what is your sick day movie sir uh Empire Records oh man yeah okay um and, and it's a bit from memory it's like uh <laughs> you know it's like I'm so familiar with it that I can quote it beginning to end so yeah. it means like I can actually you know be sick and phase out and it won't you know be a bother you know right. I don't even need to look at the screen I know everything's gonna happen next but specifically I remember um I got. I went home to get my wisdom teeth out, and since everyone says like, "Oh, it's fine," like the next day, the thing is, my mom did like the worst care of it. She did like the hot, which was the cold, and, and uh, you know, like whatever. Okay. And so uh, that I was there, like lying, lying around all week, 
And the thing is, I didn't think that it was going to happen, so I didn't bring any of my VHS tapes home with me, so I was kind of stuck with whatever was left around that I hadn't brought to, brought to uh, Oakville with me. So my sisters had, you know, they had like... I think a Knight's Tale. They had uh, Empire <laughs> Records, which they had for years. I had my own copy in Oakville at the time. Right. And they had like Ever After or something like that. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm watching Empire Records like once a day for the next seven days. Do you remember when you got to the point where you realized how bad that movie is? It's it will not, listen, listen. That movie, listen. I adore it. Yeah. That's, that's that's not what I'm saying. I, I I if I if I'm looking around for something to watch and I happen upon it. I, I will lose 90 minutes real fast. Mm -hmm. That's not my point. My point is, you know, you've seen some things now. You, your, your tastes have changed over the years. You, you, you look at that movie. If you were to come into that movie stone cold for the first time at a, at, in your late 30s, you would look at that and you'd be like, what is this? No, I, so, I, so you okay? Actually, so you haven't reached out. I actually yet. think it's good. <laughs> okay, yeah, I um, think maybe Jim Lazowski, if he listens to this, like he's got a soft spot for that director as well. He's got uh, made New Waterford Girl and Pub Up the Volume. I is still, that the same guy? Yeah. Oh Jesus! No, I, I listen. I, I enjoyed the heck out of that movie, and there's a lot of quotes from that movie that I still use a lot. I, you know, I often say what's with today today, uh, but. But I, I'm like my my, my, my taste of change, you know. Like I can, I, I, I enjoy it. But if somebody were like say like recommend me a movie, that's not where I'm going. Like honestly, like when I think tap into nostalgia, I think his stuff has stayed with me. Like Empire stuck with me way more than like Kevin Smith's yeah movies. Have. There's well that that's kind of a whole other a thing, right? Is that when when you when you start to slowly phase out of some of the stuff that you used to adore some of that will stick with you like there is other stuff from that era that i want nothing to do with anymore <laughs> but that's that's not one of them so all right empire records not bad um what is the movie that left you speechless uh or a movie that left you speechless? well i, I went with melancholia okay um and the reason it was is um i've always been kind of like an anxiety disorder guy mm -hmm. i've had it under check for a good while now thankfully but I just remember sitting in the theater as Magnolia kind of built to the, towards the end, as you see like the planet getting bigger and bigger and it's coming. And it and just- the sound is rising. The too. sound is rising. So like, it's really is like building up and I can just sort of feel it. And like, like, oh my God, I feel like a sense of panic coming on, but I'm also so engulfed in the movie that I don't want to, want to, you know, uh, miss it. Right. So I just kind of let it build it to a crescendo and it was kind of like a fear orgasm next is kind of as it, as it <laughs> ended. And I just sat there in the dark as it had kind of passed and I just felt like so good for having gone through like this kind of <laughs> little mini traumatic cinematic uh, cathartic experience, I guess you could say. And then I just remember walking around downtown in a daze, like not looking at my phone, just kind of like staring ahead. You know, like the, the opening credits to Bojack Horseman where he's just not there. Just kind of right. like everything's just passing by you. Was it like a light crowd, or was, were you also like kind of surrounded? Was it? Uh, was it was it like a festival. It was a mid-sized varsity cinema crowd. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that because I gotta imagine if it was like a full house, like if you were like experiencing this the night it opened at TIFF, that might have no. made it a lot worse. Yeah. If if there's a large crowd and I'm feeling anxious, it's gonna be way worse. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when I saw Gravity, I had to leave the theater for various reasons, like including that. Like I just don't. I, to this day, I still prefer like having a. Of mid-size to nothing. You want to do like the Monday afternoon show? Uh, it's not even necessary when you're going to like North York Center. <laughs> but um, uh, I yeah, you know, like Melancholia. That's a movie that is stuck with me over like the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't rewatched it. 
I, but, I I don't think I've re- I think I've I maybe revisited like a few moments from it. It's um, mm. it's 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 unnerving. It's a yeah. movie that's just one great big ball of stress after another. I don't want to like subject another person to it. You know what I mean? Like, like well, if I'm just of, sitting around saying, "What should we watch?" I'm not going to say, "Hey, you want to suffer?" Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, like I, yeah. I I said this before on this podcast a while ago. Um, I, I'm I'm usually pretty chatty with the the restaurants and the cafes that I go to regularly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the kind of person like I, I like you know because I get the same order all the time and I, I I'll talk with the staff. And there was one time where I was talking with a barista at the coffee shop near my work, and when I asked her what her favorite movie was, she said Melancholia, and I was like, what? Yeah. That's, that's insane. I, I'm learning just so much about you in that one <laughs> answer. Um, yeah, that that I don't know if that left me speechless, but that was certainly. A movie that had like a lot of weight by the time it was done, um, and, and especially in the way that it ends. Yeah, you know, um, man, and and yeah, like that shit. That must have been tough. Yeah. Oh man. Um, okay, moving along. Um, in, in happier ideas, <laughs> uh, what is the movie quote that would be your epitaph? Uh, this was hard <laughs> um, because. When I I took it like seriously, <laughs> that's fine. Um, because like to me, it's like. I, I wouldn't don't think I would want an epitaph in general like well me, no nobody does no I mean well like but I mean in the sense that like if you're gonna come visit my tombstone or whatever I don't want to necessarily impose anything on anyone mm. and I don't want to leave like it like I don't like it's just, like I don't have any tattoos right and it's for me it's like I can't even think like of something that I could actually commit to right you know what I mean like right. it's, okay. it's so hard like and then if I did put one on there I'd have to put everything on there to finally <laughs> to capture everything so okay. it's like if I had an epitaph I would have to have like every quote on there. Maybe like that T-shirt where it's got like all the spoilers. Yeah, yeah, all exactly. over it. So uh, it made me think that like, all right, if I'm gonna have to put something on there, I want something that's gonna confuse or upset people. So I, in the to quote the ATM from American Psycho, it's gonna say, "Feed me a stray cat." <laughs> um, I'll go with that. That's, <laughs> that's that's a pretty good one. I would I would absolutely. And trust me, I went through all the Jim Henson quotes I could find to find one that I thought was sincere and good enough, but I just couldn't decide on it. No, anything. no, I like it. Very good, man. There you go. That's more about Corey. We'll learn more with, about him when he shows up. Uh, you're you're on about a yearly loop at yeah. this point, by the way. So next next spring or summer, we'll do this again. Um, for now, though, it's time for the new slang, and the new slang is the new film by Edgar Wright. It's Baby Driver coming right back after this. Baby Driver is written and directed by Edgar Wright. It stars Ansel Elgert, Kevin Spacey, Lily James, John Berenthal, Elsa Gonzalez, John Hamm, and Jamie Foxx. It is the story of Baby. That's uh, that's Elgert. He's a um, he's a young driver, like early twenties driver, uh, who has a condition uh, called tinnitus, where he's still hearing a hum from a childhood accident. Because of that, he's constantly walking around with earbuds in his ears and music in his brain. 
Um, this all, maybe because or despite, causes him to be one of the best getaway drivers you will ever see. And he comes, he drifts into the orbit of Doc. That is, um, that's Kevin Spacey. Doc is great at planning high-risk, high-reward heists with varying crews, and uh, Baby is his constant, his lucky charm, his getaway driver. Um, Baby then enters the... uh, Baby comes across a young waitress named Deborah at a diner and uh, kind of takes a shining to her. So we have this criminal who doesn't really look or act like a criminal and has the eyes of this darling waitress, all while being able to drive like no tomorrow. We are just six months removed from one of the most beloved and divisive modern musicals, leading one to believe that as much as the genre of musicals is waning in recent years, there's still coal left in the boiler. But now, here we are watching an action movie that has a soundtrack acting as its heartbeats and staging elaborate sequences that in times, seemingly only played in baby's ear, but to us, feel like elaborate musical sequences. So, pop quiz, Hotshot. Is Baby Driver something of a musical? No. No? No. Not even a little bit? No, not at all. No? No, I I don't buy it. You don't buy buy that it's a pseudo-musical? No, I don't. Why not? Um, I don't feel like the music tells you anything. Like, I feel feel like in a musical that the music has to have some sort of narrative kind of attachment to it. Right. And uh, in this case, it's only, it's so tied to mood Okay. that I don't feel like it really counts for more than anything. And also I found just in general that the, a lot of the choices yeah. are very on the nose in a Robert Zemeckis kind of like, like flight, like recent <laughs> Michael Robert Zemeckis movies, the way he right. chooses his so- songs, uh, okay. that... Uh, I found like the the way that the music was connected to the to the whole thing to be actually kind of shallow. Interesting. Okay, so first of all, to answer my own question, I actually think it is something of a musical. Like the the main thing that holds it, the the two things that hold it back is obviously nobody sings out themselves. Mm-hmm. It's all soundtrack. Nobody's actually doing the singing, and because of that, nobody is expressing that which is not being expressed mm-hmm. within the scene. Because those, if you ask. Lindsay, she'll say that that's the the key to a musical is there should be more than one more than one thing being expressed between yeah yeah. yeah. However, that said, there are a lot of sequences in this thing. Like if you watch the credits for this thing, one of the credits that comes up in the, in the opening in the opening uh, animation is the choreographer because a lot of these scenes mm-hmm. are these dances that he does as he moves around a room or as he moves through the city. Um, there's a sequence early on when him and Deborah are hanging out at the laundromat and the way the laundromat is kind of staged behind them, all the tumblers are tumbling the specific, like the, the red, yellow, yeah. and blue behind them and their their feet are tapping in time and the way the camera moves with them. It's 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 in there. If, if it's not a musical, it's certainly musically informed, I think. Okay, so we, we were just told that we need to be interrupted. So uh, Lindsay has decided to enter the spray. Sorry. Uh, so you're tell- talking about musicals, and yeah. you're talking about because it has like choreography and stuff. If you're going to argue that choreography makes it a musical, then any martial arts film that has music involved in it would then be considered a musical. How many martial arts films have music involved in them? The only one I can think of is Kung Fu Hustle, and that's only in the opening. Well, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, on the spot, listing examples, but lots of them do. 
or any there's a lot of sports movies where for wrestling entrances exactly or but like no, but a sports film where they like that's all like every yeah, move that the they make is a choreographed yeah. but this has no but what i'm saying is this has no you're, but i think you're you're saying the word musical when you maybe mean an extended music video something like thriller where it's a story but it's a choreograph do you know what i mean oh, like, no, like I mean, of fire no i mean that the songs are expressing what baby himself cannot express because he's kind of reserved but it can't be musical if nobody sings that's uh, which i said that so, because I, you know my thought on that. Because I, it's what I, I said that too. Even musicals where people do sing aren't necessarily musicals. I don't consider, for example, the commitments a musical, even though the characters sing for like. Yeah. Do you consider like portion. once isn't a musical? Once is a musical because of one number transfers it to the music. The, oh, the, when she's uh, walking when she's, down yeah, the street. Yeah, yeah. If it didn't yeah. have, if you I pulled that, that out of it, now. then it's a music yeah. film. It's mm-hmm. a film about because then all the other performances are them performing within yeah. the storyline. The Up on the Hill song. Yeah, but that. You have that one number where she just kind of, you know, sings out her, like it just kind of turns into a musical number. That all of a sudden transforms that film into a musical. So you're saying then that even though there's numbers where Baby moves about the room and relates yep. to his, his grandfather and relates to other people, and that it, it really helps him inform his relationship with Deborah, it's also you're saying none of that counts. No, like no, that. Those, those, are bi- those, 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 those are biopics. Those are very, very different. Yeah, but and in those, the music isn't being used the same way it is being used in this movie. Yeah, but nobody's singing. There, uh, which is what I said. Which is when you were in the other room and you didn't hear me. That's what I said. Yeah. That is the so one thing. So it's that like uh, Sing Street to me isn't a musical, even no, though it has not. kind of fantastical yeah. sequ- like sequences. But that this, that's what I'm saying. This one has very specific staging and very specific ways that the music is informing the well, story. Well, one could argue that most Edgar Wright films are like that, just because he knows how to use music. He's, he's choreographed he music before, but yeah. he, he doesn't stage it quite the way he does in this movie. I I didn't think. He doesn't. Not in Scott Pilgrim. Not in Hot Fuzz. Well, no, not really. Not, not really in The World's End. Uh, there's the Don't Stop Me Now sequence in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, but that's one. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Here no, comes he, up. I, and I comes feel like up he always does. I feel like he always there's always a rhythm to to the editing because you know the it's not always the same editor, but the editing in Edgar Wright films is my favorite editing. Yes. Um, because they're Dancer in the Dark does this too, though. Like yes. the the uh, word she's listening which to which is a sound, musical. Yeah, yeah. But thing is. But she's also singing throughout the yeah. entire thing. That, that's, but, but, yeah. but the actual rhythmic to like what's going on there, like with the actual machinery and the. Is, I remember Zatoi Chi. Yeah. By the way, this, like, this episode is officially going to be titled "Lindsay Mansplains Musicals." I can't. <laughs> I you sometimes say that to me that I mansplain. That I literally cannot mansplain because I have a vagina. No, no I you can't. I cannot mansplain. The definition no, of tw- mansplain. It's, no, it's no, 2017. No. It's all you know. No, it's a feminist world. It's all. You're going to get a lot of shit for saying that on. <laughs> you're assuming people listen, so. Speaking of feminism, how about the characters in this movie, huh? The stereotypes? No, I mean like, uh, let's be let's be frank. Edgar Wright can't write women. He yeah, has well, it in space. The, the manic, manic pixie dream girl and the sex pot are the only two female characters yeah. in this whole film. And thing is, yeah. and the reason why I, I I've noticed that I've, I've always and I of, liked both of them, but still um, they're, they're stereotypes. Like it, it's not nearly a big deal in Hot Fuzz or World's End, considering like the what where everything's going. But the first time I noticed this about Edgar was uh, really with Scott Pilgrim because the source material have Ramona Flowers is so strong. Yeah. And she's not weak in the movie, but she's, she's certainly, kind of but she's certainly like muted compared to where she should be. She becomes the girl on the pedestal as yeah. opposed to somebody who's actually, in, you know. Yeah. However, you could like, say that in Scott Pilgrim, all the characters are just kind of. They are, but uh, there's, there's, more, there's, here, there's that, that was the challenge with that movie is sort of condensing all the other stuff that's kind of going on, or it's more subtle. Yeah. Like as subtle as they, the books really can be. Um, is that he kind of had to con- like obviously he had to like each book was like there were a different X and like the different things that would be attached to the baggage of that thing and he's got to shove them all into one movie 
uh, so things get really kind of condensed. So the complexities that involve Ramona and her exes and what it brings out of her are all kind of pushed aside for the kind of more shallow, um, unique things about the exes themselves and what they can bring to the fight scenes, yeah. which I think is what maybe turns off a few people to uh, that movie at Winning Cards from Ramona Flowers is that the narrative of the exes is, is more about the action and the, the style than it is about Ramona. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least that's something that I, I feel like. I don't feel Ramona's completely tossed aside, but I feel she's definitely um, like a shell of what she could be there. So you so got that. You got that in this movie as well with yeah. Deborah. Yeah, I, because I, I, mean, I mean, I did not like Deborah like, De- as a like, character. Like Deborah is nice and all, and Deborah's Deborah's lovely, but there's there's nothing to Deborah besides the fact that she's just kind of a comic. She's, a, pr- she's a pretty face who likes and, 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 and something of a, a, a of a stand-in for his mom, which is creepy on several different levels. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I, the the cool the thing I liked about her is that she has, I like the way that Edgar Wright brought a classic look to to the two characters. Like there's those scenes where he's kind of flashing, often his little imagination to her in front of that car, and she's done up kind of like a '60s pinup, and you kind of get the and when they are talking about I want to just get in the car and have my music and drive. Yeah. Right. They're talking about driving and love and music in that very very classic sense. That's kind of gone in the way that everybody has a car and it's a cup holder with wheels, right? That's that's all very lovely, but it's not complicated. But if you take, let's say you take him out of the story, she is a blank shell of a woman who is pretty and likes music and has literally nothing else other than she shows up and goes to this waitressing job every day. Right. When he talks to her, there is literally nothing else to her story except that, oh, she fantasizes that maybe she can drive away one day. Oh, how convenient because mm-hmm. he drives. But there's literally nothing else to her. If you take him out of the storyline, what is she? She's not a she's not a flesh out character. There is nothing to her other than just to be there for. She's like his fantasy girl. You I'm, see a pretty girl that you're like, oh, I she caught my eye, and then all of a sudden, oh my god, she loves music too. Yeah. But the We've thing I'm wondering, the thing I'm wondering though, is how much of that do we want from this kind of movie? This is let, let, let's call um, it. I wouldn't bring I wouldn't bring it up if it weren't for the fact that like to, uh, to cut to the chase, like I I feel like I liked the movie. Yeah, but I. Whatever I, I think of, I think of from so many different angles where I felt disappointed. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I just, see. I I just kept getting caught up in the execution of it and the fun. Like um, it, it's it is it is a it is a chase and shoot 'em up movie. That's all it is. Like this is the kind of movie that you very easily twenty years ago could have seen somebody like Mel Gibson in, or could have easily seen well, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves in for sure. It's just it's driving and shooting and to put it this and, way, and, and a lot of good music put it this way, I, I kind of felt like it was kind of jumping back and forth from being kind of like a, an okay Matthew Vaughn type movie and an okay Tarantino ripoff. Interesting. Um, but I, but I, when I think about Edgar Wright and what I've always been attached to him, like uh, going back to Spaced, is that he's very much like a beta like me. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, and and he's, the way he expresses it through his characters, like there's a lot of kind of grown up man child stuff to it. They're, who are kind of either forced to a situation to sort of like adapt and realize they need to grow up sometime. They don't have to throw away that part of them, but they have to, you know, take on some responsibility. Uh, well, and it comes from a very kind of like this way of life is, you know, is fun. But I think with the Edgar Wright movies, I mean, uh, the Simon Pegg characters really have to don't have to necessarily share the load in that. Like that Nick Frost as as the dynamic flowing off of them usually works. And in Scott Pilgrim, there's so many characters that all, that kind of come in and come out that I feel like it kind of works. But with this one, I feel like Baby doesn't... I, I don't. I feel like anything involving Baby doesn't really 
grow, that nobody really yeah. kind of grows. It's all just kind of very surface level. And especially what it made me realize with this film is that, like, Edgar Wright should not be trying to make cool movies. Like, <laughs> he, he's making a movie about a guy who's somewhere between a, like, a, he's like a very kind of restrained mute alpha, really, because there's really, or maybe he's not really anything. Like, I found Baby to be, even be kind of a Baby's a kind of empty. Like, well, he wasn't well, really a... the thing I like about Baby, though, is that Baby is, he's still at heart a good person. Like, you get, the, that's that's kind of... I mean, they, spell, without, they certainly spell that no, out. Without, <laughs> without tr- yeah, without trying to give that away, he's he's, like, you know, he's a crook. Let, let's let's not let's but not sugarcoat that. I, I found the he's way a crook, that but at the same time, he still wants. He doesn't consider himself a crook. He's considering himself doing a means to an end. Mm-hmm. So if it's a matter of you know uh, of holding a door open for somebody, or you know, mm-hmm. or, or just being just being a mensch, you know, to, to take the the Billy Wilder line, he does so just because of his nature. I would say like uh, the case where he gives the purse back to the woman. I like that because it was a very Peter Parker. Kind of, yeah. kind of thing to do. Yeah. But regarding the stuff with that kind of the old man, I immediately saw through it immediately. Like thinking, like this guy, this is a guy's like, this is a plot contrivance right here yeah. to try to show that he's both like a very quick short and show he's a good person and to put him in danger later. Like you know, the second you oh, see yeah. that guy, You're he's like, gonna get mm-hmm. either. Uh, if it was a Matthew Vaughn film, they would have killed him. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, but uh, and, and but he just puts him in. You know, I don't know. I, I, I maybe it's just because of the look of. Uh, of Elgert himself, but I bought it because he's got that. Like, like if you're gonna get an actor and name him Baby, this is the guy you mm. do it, right? And I like it to Elgert actually. I mean, he even kind of elevated movies like people don't really like. Like, I actually really like Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> I know it's, it's, and, uh, it's I actually, good for what it is. I, I feel for what it's worth, what he brings to men, women, and children was made yeah. the movie bearable for me. <laughs> and you're some like you're somewhere in the middle here because I'm I'm thinking I love this movie. Corey's like okay with it at best. I really liked it. I enjoyed it. But if the more I'm, you think about it, but if I'm it, going to pick, like if you're going to ask me specifically, like it's a because the hype question, is like, putting it as a talk about the female level, characters. But that's not yeah. the movie's fault. I know it's true. However, like it does sort of tend to sort of grate on me a little bit. Like I, I yeah. can I can be definitely when something is kind of set up to be as like a kind of a revolutionary thing. Yeah. When um. Of all, you know, it's it's happening a lot lately. Like every week, something's kind of like the best or the funniest or the most empowering or, or one thing or another. And most of the time, it's just like oh, that was good. Yeah. Did um, anything else jump out at you? For me, I mean, the editing, like for positive or negative. I love, I love the. So you're you're in this now. Oh, okay, I'm not, not going to say, but I'm no, just, you. Oh, yes, say. you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's the editor, so yeah, let's that's hear. what I'm saying. I, I talk love, about, talk about I love the tone editing. and the pace. I I just. He works well with music, and even when there's no music in the background, there is rhythm to it, but not distractingly so. Because sometimes you can feel, sometimes when people tr- try to do that purposefully, right. it's jarring, and it, it actually you're like, oh god, they're trying really hard. Do you hard think it's here. showy? Sometimes. Sometimes, but not in a bad way. Where, okay, for example, if something I thought showy were, they were trying so hard to like be cool, was and I hated it. And you know that it was, uh, was it the Big Short. Yeah. I hated that movie. I thought the rhythm was all wrong. I thought they were. Someone clearly told them to try really hard to get this kind of like fast-paced kind of thing that Edgar Wright seems to just be able to do easily. And I don't know if it's him or the editors that he works with, but there is a music. There is his editing is musical, right? And I love it. I've always loved his transitions, the quick musical transitions. I've always loved that. When I say musical again, I don't mean it as in music. I mean lowercase. In, in um, like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, you know, like the, the transition scenes where it's all the quick shots of him like grabbing his stuff and. And it's just kind of like a, a visual swish pan yeah. or something of, I, and I've always loved that. But if I'm 
you know, if you're going to ask me specific questions, no, I didn't love the care all the characters in this film, specifically mm. Baby and um, I didn't really care Deborah. for any of the characters, to be honest. I think near the end, like, John Hammite lost me near the end, but for, for the first half, I was like, I'm loving all these people, and then when the more we got them, I was like, okay, well, now they're now they're not they're a little too cartoony or I, th I think if anything like the style is like so well executed that it just draws attention to where you know what I mean like I don't feel like it's robbing away from the characters I think it's just highlighting the weaknesses of the characters in the story yeah and I certainly love the look of the film I liked I'd say stylistically about the best, I liked everything as far as like the way the music moves with everything I think the best uh example of it was for me like the actual shootout when like the guns were really just kind of matching like the yeah. beats right like it felt it felt very much like a incarnation of like that mia mia song like fully realized. oh yeah, yeah yeah okay so um now you know the the crazy thing is we've gone this far into the conversation and we haven't talked about the driving at all in this movie because it's it's you know it's not one long car chase at all there's basically like three chases in the movie yeah but it and it's really how the movie is being sold I don't know about you. I, I love a good car chase, so the fact that kind of the film really actually opens with one, and mm -hmm. it's the main one too. The way like you were talking about the way this movie is being sold, the way this movie is being sold, the chase that it opens with, I thought was like the climactic chase. Yeah, seeing that's the, the best red, one. Yeah. That's seeing the, best the three one. red Camaros yeah. going down the highway, that yeah. kind of thing. His back alley mm -hmm. moves with the parking brake. Yeah. There's not really another. I mean, after that first chase, everything's kind of just more of the same. Yeah. I don't remember anything exciting happening after that. There's, I mean, the, well, there's, the, getaway from, there's, there's the getaway from the bank, and then the third one is just kind of, it doesn't even really get off the ground because the, the heist gets bought. But really, it's that first chase is the chase. Yeah. Because the second one is just kind of a rehab. Which I, I ate up. I love that I, chase. I generally prefer, uh, if it's going to be a car chase, like, uh, I want there to be something really ridiculous going on. Like, just doing a really good, normal car chase doesn't work for me anymore like like cars and guns to me are things that i'm not necessarily like, oh you're into. getting older come no, I mean, on no, the thing is i was never really a big one dollar cinema you would be guy. very disappointed in no this but i remember going to see shoot 'em up like and thinking like oh this is gonna be great it's gonna be so over the top but i just felt like sort of numb to it after like 25 minutes right uh in this case like i want like that's why i love speed racer so much is those cars are ninja kicking each other right and the fast and the furious movies are getting stupider and stupider and i'm totally okay with that and um, even um, Mad Max had, I mean, that was... Well, one that's longer. just straight and driving, And that's right? just amazing, like... That's just two hours of driving. This one, like, I, I don't know, for that, that first chase, like, I, I said to you this morning, he made me want to be a better driver. Like, I wish I was that confident behind the wheel. And no, I don't. It, no, you don't wish you were that I confident. do. No, I, I totally wish I was that confident behind the wheel, where I, I would not even think twice about how much space I have or how fast I'm going or anything like that. See, it's, my issue with, too, the way... Because he was so confident behind the wheel, and he was even when he was just walking around... Him walking around the street, I was like, oh my god, if he walked by and he was all full of himself and D-baggy like that, I'd hate him. But then like, he takes off his sunglasses and he looks like he's 12. How could you How could you hate that guy? Well, he actually, he like looks he, like he still has that new car smell. You know what? He had that, that self-important millennial feel to him when he was walking down the street. And if someone gets in his way, that's kind of their problem. It's all, the world is all about <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, I could see that. And that did bug me when I was watching. I was like, oh, this fucking But guy. he's listening mm -hmm. to his music and, and, uh, and he's the moving. Thing. And the way he gets treated when it finally kind of catches up with him at the end. Like, it definitely, definitely gets a bit of a white privilege kind of yeah. smell all over it. 
and I, you're you're being caught up because you have this romantic vision about music. Yes. I, and I do too. No, but I don't just think because you do. someone likes good music doesn't mean they're a decent person. This guy, don't get me wrong. This character takes it to a very far extreme because he's always got them in. But I relate to somebody who has their music on them a lot mm-hmm. and who. You know, okay, the absurd notion of what's that song you drive to? Like, John Hamm and, and Elgert have this conversation of, what's your song? What's your song? And he mm-hmm. talks about that Queen song from Sheer Heart Attack. Yeah. I sort of get that. That's a little absurd, but at the same time, I sort of get I, that. I get that you get that, but if someone's walking down the street and they will literally just walk straight into you because they're listening to their, in their group and, like... It's like the Better Sweet Symphony, sort of. Yeah, and, it's, and you're thinking, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they were listening to a good track that I also like. I get it, yeah. Oh, sorry, man. So don't say, like, you, no, but... I do! I no, totally but there's do. there's just something so self-entitled. If he wasn't, like, you're saying, but he takes his glasses off and he looks like 12. What if he wasn't? What if he was, like, older and he w- he wasn't, like, a handsome white dude? What if it was someone else and he was just walking down the street, no. listening to music, bumping into people, listening crashing to music? his coffee into I'm people fine just with because that. he's... Nope. I'm no, you wouldn't. I would be. Here's another thing that a little thing that I kind of grated on me is the idea that he has tinnitus. I've had labyrinthitis before. I used to work... What is that? Tell people. All right, so I used to work at a uh, um, oil refinery. Okay. I, I was... My dad's an oil refinery person. It was basically like a summer job, like internship sort of thing. And it got so loud in there one for one stretch that I got labyrinthitis, which is like sort of like a weird inner ear infection. And I've had stretches sometimes where it comes back in for a couple of days. And thing is, it, it sort of gave, makes you feel like a little bit dizzy and off-centered. I remember the first time I had it, it was like four in the morning, I feel it coming in, I'm listening to Scissor Sisters waiting for a bus, and I just feel sick, and the last thing I want in the world is to hear music. Mm. The only thing that, and I, that was the first time I ever went on a plane, and I had tinnitus, cephalabrathitis, and I was trying to listen to calming music. I remember listening to Sigur Rós all the way to Edmonton, and then on the other end it was just got even worse from, from doing that to myself. And it, it, it was just painful to listen to the music. And the only thing that made that thing, like, the only thing that evened out that feeling was alcohol. Oh, Not wow. music, alcohol. So I was just having shots of Bailey's, like, once every couple hours for, until it went away for, like, a week. Um, music. I did not want to hear anything. I've had so short I don't know. I, I don't cannot know imagine putting headphones if, if someone out there is going to show me some evidence that tinnitus makes your like is like cured by music like let me know but to me it's just like this is wrong i think the version that, the version that he had like the one thing i've like Lindsay and i were talking about uh, in in wake of this was um how like anytime i come home for a concert my ears will be ringing until morning but you're not gonna put headphones in to drown well, that yeah, out because it's, gonna... it's because it's when it's quiet that i can actually hear it if, I'm, if if you're talking to me or if i'm watching tv it's not bothering me what bothers me is when i try to sleep and i can't hear anything that's when i put in the headphones but which might just be the you know the kind of the shitty ass way that they're trying to describe it is is this condition where mm-hmm. if it's too quiet that it just it drives them nuts yeah. the kind of the the very very low end version of what you had yeah. um, I don't know as a device I bought it it's it, mm-hmm. I mean the funny thing about this whole thing is it's not really it's not at all a complicated movie and no. No. you know I think the reason why it's being pushed so hard is we're in an age where every big movie is pushed so hard yeah. that movies like this get lost in the shuffle and so people, people, people feel like they have to push it that much harder I do feel like there was a narrative for this like way behind it like well before it came out though that this was the, the thing that we were all gonna, gonna maybe like. I do think but uh, speaking of the devices though I think uh, one of the things that he brought that I hadn't really heard before in similar cases was just the way that when he has one earbud in the sound's only coming out of 
one set of speakers in the. In That's the, cool, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. That, that was uh, neat. And there was a couple times where the volume kind of got amped up or, or down or whatever. I, I kind of wish they did have played a little bit more with that. You know what I mean? But uh, but the sound mixers on that did yeah. an amazing job. Yeah. Same thing with like the, the the handful of times where you can actually hear the ring. I was actually confused as to whether or not that was my ears or if it was in the mix. Mm-hmm. It's it's really subtly done and really nice. The, like you were saying, the, the sound, sound mix editors, on this. the sound mixers, and even the foley artists. Like the the they did a really good job with sound. This movie sounds incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is usually where we would pick a souvenir, something tangible or intangible, that we would take away from this movie and keep if we could. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to let you start, because I know you haven't thought about such things. Oh, I um, have one. Okay. Well, then, well, hang on, then you start. Like, what do you, what do you I got? never want to hear a British actor no, doing an American accent again. No, 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 no. That's you can keep, no, 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 you can keep your, your souvenir. You don't, you don't extract <laughs> something. You keep something. You get to keep it as your souvenir. That knowledge that I hate listening to Brits doing American accents. Uh, okay. I hate it. it Very specifically. Deborah. Oh, Lily James. Lily James, yeah. I like her. I just, every every British actor I see doing it, like, it's like nails on a chalkboard because I, I don't know, especially when they're kind of Southern, like in this I movie. feel that way when Steve Coogan's doing an American accent. Because he's not I'm funny to anymore. I remember when as he's done he, an American accent. Uh, and Hamlet 2. Hamlet 2, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, I don't even remember yeah. him being American in that. Yeah, no, he's totally American. Yeah, that. it would have been so much funnier if he kept his British accent, especially uh, when he's a drama teacher. <laughs> but um, Corey, souvenir? Uh, I mean, I, I guess musically, it took it made me go dig out my Handsome Boy Modeling School album, <laughs> the Holy <laughs> okay. Calamity Scream Insanity track. That okay. was like a really fun uh, side project uh, by uh, from a couple rappers back in the Prince Paul, I think, back in the late '90s. That's okay. been largely forgotten. Funny enough, that track's not on the actual like 33 track soundtrack. Uh, of course, of course. But, um, but you had a copy, so you yeah, know. I had a copy. I was nice. just like, I actually had to like sit down and I was just like, I know this, I remember this, I loved this. Why don't I have like? And so, uh, thank you, Shazam. Uh, but, what uh, what I would take out of this, um, which should probably surprise nobody, I want Baby's iPods. He has like a collection yeah. of classics. The mood iPods. The mood iPods. Uh, but I mean, it's he's he's got. Several. He's got like minis, and he's got like a YouTube version, and he's got the old one where the clicks were around the wheel. How many I, do you I, have? Do I you only have I only haven't used the one. I, okay. There's a couple. Sorry, two, because uh, I have a shuffle that I use when I pretend that I exercise. Yeah, I have um, three. Yeah, but it's because even in a digital age, like we've yeah. gone to this weird place of a digital age where we just want to stream mm-hmm. everything. I'm like, no, no, no. I want. This stuff on this pod, and this stuff on this one, and this... Uh, I said to Ryan after the film, I was like, God, I felt so old when they flash back to him as a kid getting his iPod for Christmas. Or yeah, the, he gets his first iPod like, when he's oh seven. Oh, my God. We rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Lindsay Ragone, what do you give uh, Edgar Wright's Baby Driver on a scale of one to four? I'll give it a three and a half. After wailing on it that much? <laughs> I Are you kidding it. me? Yeah. You know me, I... There's... Okay, there's, it's one thing. If you ask me specific questions about a film to pick apart what did you like and dislike... It is completely different from how I felt watching it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is I give my star based on, like, did I, would I watch it again and did I enjoy it? Because that's the thing, like, yes. that is the same, that is the exact same score I would give it, and I'm clearly the one of the three of us who liked it the most, it seems. <laughs> or who certainly has the least amount of problems with it. But, okay, three and a half from Lindsay, three and a half from me. What do you, two you and a like half. Two and a half? Yeah. Okay, you like it, but you don't love it. Uh, I like it, but I don't love it. If it wasn't Acre Wright, I think I might have come down a little harder on it like it's one of those things where it's like i'm trying I do to love edgar i'm trying so. to like not get in the way of my future self trying to give it you know 
That's what, more of a check. I, I'm and trying not to get in the way of having to justify to Nikki why I bought a movie that I supposedly don't like. It's fine. You know what? I we This morning, we watched a movie that when I saw it in the theater, did not like it at all, and we yeah. were just watching saying, you know, actually, it's pretty good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all about, yeah. you know, coming back on things. Um, hey, maybe you like this movie more than we did. Maybe you think that we're all on crack and this movie is terrible. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca. Twitter, we're on matinee underscore CA or Facebook. What did you think of Edgar Wright's Baby Driver? Come on, Rack. After this, we're going to do one more section, which Lindsay may or may not stick around for, that I'm calling the needle and the damage done right after this. I'm Ryan. Lindsay has decided to leave us alone. It's Matt and Acast 179. We're talking about Baby Driver, and uh, we want to do something different than a normal other side for this movie because, uh, as we've been discussing, music plays such a huge part in this movie, and the soundtrack plays such a huge part in this movie. Um, Corey, of course, uh, had a podcast for a long time called The Soundtrack of Your Life, where he discussed with various guests um, iconic, always iconic soundtracks. Um, of various movies, new and old. Um, so we wanted to talk about soundtracks for a little while and how they're used, how they're used in this movie, how they're used in others' movies. And um, originally, I, I kind of I gave you the short version online, but I figured I'd, I'd kind of spell this out now. If we were here talking about soundtracks, we could be here yeah. for hours. So we wanted to, to draw a line, right? Because like, we could be going all the way back to Blackboard Jungle and Hard Day's Night and that kind of thing. So where do you draw a line for a conversation like this? And your first reaction was, let's talk about soundtracks from this century, which I veto very quickly. And, I, and there's two reasons. Reason number one, and the bigger reason, is I don't really feel like this century has a, a catch-all uh, framing to it, you know? Like, if you watch movies from the 80s, or you watch movies from the 60s, you can see the mm. 80s-ness of them or the 60s-ness of them, 70s, same sort of thing. We're a remix generation. We are. We very, very much are. I, I feel like there was a little bit of definition to the first decade um, in it being about 9-11 and the war on terror in Iraq and where you stood and, uh, you know, and the crash of it all, yeah. you know, at the end. But even then, it's very, very blurry, you know? So trying to encompass the last 17 years besides just years on the calendar is really, really hard for starters. The other thing is it's kind of a bit of a pushback because I'm noticing a lot of lists being posted the last six weeks or so about such and such, you know, top movies of horror in the, yeah. in the decade so far. A New and York the, Times list. Yeah, all yeah. of these. And I'm like, my question to this, and this is the first time we've got to bring it up on the podcast or at all, is why now? We're 17 years into this into this century. Why in the world is this the reason to look back? I would get it after 10, I get it after 20 and 25. 17 years is not a reason to look back on an era of time that is not marked by some sort of world event, besides just laziness and people like lists. Uh, maybe if we're all anticipating world events. I don't know, like maybe, maybe that's it, but I, that, that's the thing to me, is saying, like gathering together seven, why 17? Why not 18? Why not go to 23? 17 is such a strange number to start looking back and categorizing everything of, besides just we're, we're out of shit to write about. 
Uh-huh. You know, so that was why. So I said, okay, if we're going to talk about a block of time, let's talk about 20 years. So we're talking about 97. We're getting forward. before 9-11. So. We are, yeah, because I feel like the music at the end of the 90s was very, you know, very strange in some ways. We had like the end of Britpop in there. We had the rise of this kind so of... Electronica and Ska's brief little... Yeah, wave. we had we had the rise of, of new, yeah. of this, this new version of pop. with a uh, new metal and the, yeah, the, the summer where every song was about summer. And the, and the movies that have come and gone in the 20 years have all used soundtracks very, very differently. So I guess let, let's start this off since, since you very much are a soundtrack guy. Yeah. What makes a good soundtrack for you? Uh, if, if I'm thinking about an ideal soundtrack, one that's been like, okay, I need to go get that. Yeah. Uh, it has, like, it's around like 80% the core songs that make up that movie. You know what I mean? Like the important ones. Like they right. didn't leave out anything. Uh, Essential because of you know rights issues. You, yeah. ma- you made the effort to get everything in there, right? Uh, so and that eighty percent is probably like songs that you've curated that existed in the past. Uh, I'd say uh, and the another next fifteen percent are songs that probably are brand new to that uh, like album. So it's you like want to blend? You want someone's like either like a B side. Uh, like just like unreleased uh, or a song that's written specifically for that movie, like mm-hmm. uh, originals. Okay. Um, and I mean written for the movie, not just whatever. But I also want like if ideal soundtracks, the ones that really mean something to me, like have like one or two tracks, uh, and it could be just thirty seconds to one minute. It's like a song that exists only within that movie. It's like a fake band, or it's uh, like it could be something as simple as like in the Hangover when Zach. Galifianakis sings the three best friends song, right. and they decide to include it on the album with just like an extra little flourish of, as if it's an actual song. Okay. Or uh, I'm trying to think of other examples of well, like fake bands that you know, like uh, like "Hello, My Name Is Doris." There's a dance rascal dance song by the fake uh, kind of uh, Richard Coyne kind of style guy that's okay. in that movie. Uh, and that was like a, like those are the ones that I want to like go out and be like all right I need to find that one song like because this is the only thing that will ever exist from this one okay. made See, up thing. for me the the best soundtracks are they're very they're key to the films themselves they're yeah. not just really really good mixes now listen I love oh we're gonna cap- get into this capital L love a really good mix yeah. okay um, but at the same time it's it's kind of too easy if you've got unlimited money for rights and, and music that you can marry up to a scene yeah. that's just whatever happens to be in your imagination that's too easy there's a there's a there's a balance to all of this yeah. that goes with the scene that you're selling and the song that you're singing and they have to work together well for me to make up a good soundtrack that's why I divided these into like ones that are basically like really good curations that are essential to the movie versus ones that are like almost like almost like a singular vision it may still be a various artists soundtrack but it's or it could be like dominated by one artist. okay and just to back up you're saying that baby driver soundtrack didn't really do it for you not really no wow really uh i actually don't think other than i think scott pilgrim is the strongest of the soundtracks he's done and and I, there's like well they all do very very different tracks, things like, like this is the one where in the, World's End you know I, I love the way he used Sisters of Mercy and yeah. Primal Scream yeah but I think generally like he's doesn't really have front to back great soundtracks okay yeah. this one for me you know we talked about it in the last section I actually I, I liked the soundtrack a lot because of the way it was used and the way he's doing a little bit of a deeper dive he's, yeah. he's going in these songs he really really strikes me as trying to go for rhythm 
and that's a, that's a cool thing in its own right. Mm -hmm. um, and it, by the way, if, if my voice sounds like it's a little bit hurried, it's because I'm trying to get through this show before we get rained on. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll be all right. Yeah, we, we probably will be all right. But that's that's that is like, what it is for me is the marriage of the music in the moment. Yeah. So like a, a soundtrack example that's really just a good mixtape. Yeah. Are the Twilight movies? They did a really great job just farming out people to make original See, songs. See, I like those soundtracks those despite songs. their movie. That's yeah, the thing. That's it? what I mean. Like, those are just, those are, like, they don't add anything to the movie themselves. They're yeah. just in the background of certain scenes. Yeah. Uh, they're good songs, like Beck and Bat for Lashes did an amazing collaboration. The you metric song good in there. Metric and, and Muse uh, contributions. You got, like, Florence the Machine and St. Vincent and Likey Lee putting out some stuff that weren't really B-sides, they were written. Yeah. And Hunger Games tried to carry that idea forward with the first or second, like the second. They got it like, with the first, but after that it really tapered off actually, real the first, Yeah, the, the first, um, I think actually the first Mockingjay soundtrack, like, it's full of great songs, but there's like Lord songs and stuff like that, and they're not in the movie. No. None of the songs no. in the movie. That's, yeah, that's the other thing, is I don't want songs inspired by. Yeah. I, I want to be able to envision that moment in the film, even if it's an old song. Like, you yeah. know, we love it when when new stuff arrives for a movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, the classic, like the classic example, of course, being Prince. Um, but as much as that, I want it to be something that marries up. Yeah. So some of then the heaviest hitting soundtracks for you for the last 20 years? Um, to go in the first category of ones that are truly like various artist soundtracks yeah, yeah. that are, and usually what they do is they just find one person to basically curate them for them. It's not just Which some, is a skill into itself. Yeah, and when usually it's like a T-Bone Burnett or or someone along that lines or what's-his-face from uh, that, that did the Lost in Translation soundtrack. Okay. Uh, Kevin Shields, I think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the way he kind of brought all those things together. There was a, a, that had, it was a great example of a soundtrack full of artists that I don't necessarily listen to on my own you yeah. know what I mean I'm not gonna I'm not necessarily a big uh, Jesus and Mary chain kind of kind of person you right. know what I mean or is that even one of the ones on there I'm thinking like I think so that, that's the one that does it the main theme right like I'm just trying to remember the, the, uh, the yeah I always like, I always get that one yeah I always get that one in Virgin Suicides mixed yeah, up yeah. and I know so, Suicide's all about air yeah so uh, that's a great example like one that can sort of reveal something like new to you that you wouldn't necessarily go out and buy. Like, I'm going to buy all the albums from all the bands on the soundtrack, but compiled together, they bring something new together as a whole. Like, another example of that would be, like, the Old Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Yeah, which, you know, there there you've got a soundtrack that um, that sets a time yeah. and, and a mood, right? Like, soundtrack of an era. Yeah. Um, which you kind of, like, another one that, that kind of reminded me of that, you've got, there were a lot of those in the last yeah. 20 years. Like, uh, a few years ago, Inside Lewin Davis yes. was all about that, and all you know, not original stuff, but stuff that they went and kind of like dumpster dived yeah. for and reappropriated. And that's a good example of ones where they have songs that they made specifically for the movie. They'd be like, "All right, that's the only way I'm ever going to hear." Hey, hey, Mr. Mr. President. Kennedy, yeah. Uh, Mr. Kennedy. Um, you know, or more another one from like the '90s is the Wedding Singer. How yeah. they got all those songs to really, really encapsulate early '80s. Yeah, but you want it because you want to get Adam Sandler's version of like the somebody kill me <laughs> there's that but i mean as well they just they didn't just go yeah. they, they didn't just go buck wild with yeah. 80 songs they're like okay we, what would these people listen to yeah and uh that another Cohen example of the i think it's also like curated by t-bone like the big lebowski soundtrack i think is heavily maybe underrated but yeah, the way it mixes in together like you got obviously your obvious ones that are like they stand out and they really contribute to the movie like like the Kenny Rogers song. Right. But I think under the radar, I think people don't really think about the Captain Beefheart song that's on there. No. 
or uh, or the Bob Dylan song that opens it up. Yeah, yeah, you know. And people don't necessarily think of those as like an essential Bob Dylan song, but for me, I'm like I, I I've got to like the like two Bob Dylan greatest hits albums, and the Man in Me is not, not on either it. of those nope. albums. But to me, it's like one of the best Bob Dylan songs because of yeah. the Big Lebowski. That's the one I like. Is I I like when a soundtrack supervisor can find a song that is, um, not, not the most prevalent example of any particular uh, artist's work. So another soundtrack that's kind of iconic from the last 20 years is Garden State. Yeah. And Garden State went and used the Simon and Guy Fun- Garfunkel song, The Only Living Boy in New York. Yeah. Which is off one of their biggest albums, but it was kind of one of those songs that people didn't, when they listened to that album, yeah. they kind of shuffled past. It's nice, it's great, but everybody was like, eh, it's fine. And now yeah. it's like, oh, a lot of people now love that song yeah. and because of And I feel that um, Wes Anderson tries to do the same thing when he digs into his old, like, Rolling Stones and Clash albums, like yeah. he gets the less obvious ones in there. Yeah, and uh, I think like the what's the name of that? The Faces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. And uh, I find like, uh, and even stuff when it comes to, like the Velvet Underground and Nico, like the way that those songs play into the Royal Tenenbaums, are really strong things. And I think that that is mostly like he mixes like score in between his tracks on a number of his soundtracks. Yep. yep. Um, uh, but I found, like, of all his soundtracks, I think uh, the Darjeeling Limited gets the least play, but I find it's one that, that I'm really attached to. It's funny, because that one almost sounds like it's all stuff he had composed. Yeah. Because, because so much of it is that But Bollywood. I think it's sourced from other from previous Bollywood yeah. movies. He yeah, but he Tarantino finds a beautiful yeah. blend of them that they all work so well together, and yeah. then he drops in his kink songs. Yeah. You know, just, just for something a little bit different. Where do you come down, then, on... The soundtracks that are a singular vision, like stuff like you know what Eddie Vedder did for Into the Wild. Yeah, I, I had that one noted as well. Um, Do you like that or I like not that so much? Sa- I like that soundtrack. I really think of just the big hard sun song. Really, that was like the single that really is like in that and, wide ri- open. and rise up. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that one. Uh, I think the other like singular vision ones that really obviously there's once in the swell season. Yeah. Um, um, I find like Slumdog Millionaire, which is mostly A. R. Rahman and M. I. A. with yeah. some other people in there but it's really their vision kind of putting it together there's the badly drawn boy about a boy soundtrack i love that remember soundtrack. him <laughs> yeah well he, like there's a guy who didn't really you know yeah jump out like he was like a year and we a got half to like 2009 and, boy and, yeah know? uh and of course like amy man's magnolia soundtrack yeah which is weird because you could call it just an amy man album but then you've got those super tramp songs and gabrielle is yeah. stuck on the end there the one that i love about that is that that's one where they work the soundtrack into the story where everybody starts singing wise up and it's yeah. on its base level, it's absurd. Yeah. But it, but it, it's this just moment of beautiful catharsis yeah. within the movie itself. That's what I was talking yeah. about the, the marriage of the music and the moment. And Amy Mann is a singer who, like, for all her praise, is not so, like a singer that I consider myself like a big fan of. She's not even really widely known. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like she known, shows up in Portlandia sketches. <laughs> yeah. She's she's known to like to 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 record heads and yeah. that kind of thing. But you're not gonna. You're not going to just find some average man or woman on the street and say, "Hey, do you want to go see Amy Mann tonight?" They're yeah. like, "Who?" Yeah. You know, you ask them if they want to go see Adele. They know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, like that al- album is basically. You tapped on it earlier. Is there? There's there's a trend in soundtracking where it's like a large movie that has an unlimited budget where it feels like they're going for the most obvious choices. Yeah. And I feel like there's a bunch of songs and soundtrack supervisors that all need to be put on timeout. Yeah. Can you think of any like any examples like that? You mentioned flight earlier. Zemeckis in general. Yeah, I know, think it's, he, he got a lot really of love for, for Forrest Gump. Yeah, the thing is, it works in Forrest Gump because of the whole theme of the entire movie and like the hopping across decades. Yeah, like, 
like it, it's meant to specifically put you in a moment or in time but in other cases it's like it's like oh i'm feeling bad today and so it's like i had a bad day yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean that's yeah. that's the kind of on the nose choices he he makes yeah um so i really watchman did that for me watchman felt like a film that got i think watchman's a mix an absolute unlimited budget and mm-hmm. they're like okay what can we use Jimi yeah. hendrix yeah put it in yeah. leonard cohen yeah put it in yeah uh, you know sound of silence i'm like guys come on yeah. think a little bit harder that that, that uh the times they are changing thing though I, I, do, uh, well, I do love that. I, do love I would that. love that on its yeah. own, but then everything else that came after it really, really clouded it. Um, Hallelujah, since I'm on that, that tangent, that is a song. Needs a timeout. A big, Shrek. big timeout. That song's a Shrek. T- I know. <laughs> it, it comes up on every yeah. singing reality show. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. I adore it, but it's just, it's been way too overused. Yeah. Um, any others that came up like that that you thought that uh, are... That- I find songs that get overused. So it's almost more of a trailer thing. These, There's that too. too. I mean, I think of so many trailers that used "Home" by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Yeah, uh, it appeared in, in, on TV shows and stuff too. Yeah, like, there was a bunch of there was a bunch of people using that Patrick Watson song. They were using "Into Giants" for a while there too. Yeah. It gets clouded when you see the same songs or whatever in commercials. Yeah. Um, but um, it's 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 strange because. And to be honest, like it seems like Cigaroos got got overused. Like, I, I, what some of my favorite uses of it come from, you know, um, you Life like, Aquatic and Cafe de Flor. I was gonna say Cafe de Flor because um, that, that that song is key in that movie. Yeah, right. But, Same thing as the actual Cafe de Flor song is yeah. key in that movie. Yeah. That's when I like when a soundtrack does that. Is that when you can work a song, a unique song too, not like yeah. Sound of Silence, into the plot? I I dig that. Yeah, but uh, when I think of stuff like these days now like another one example that's on the nose yeah like uh i would i like most of the songs on the drive soundtrack on their own it's cool soundtrack. Is, some of the first like the first the only time though is like the first time i heard a real human being and a real hero is in the context of the movie yeah and i just saw that scene i'm like come on <laughs> like after all this you're just you're just imposing just you're just rubbing my face and shit yeah like i just yeah i, I, I despised I, I, it it's 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 hard there's sometimes where, um, where movies are really, another really example changed. of a really really just bad forced soundtrack just thrown together of whatever is spider-man the first one with like nickelback nickelback macy gray and some 41 yeah well that's yeah that's sony showing we have this much money and yeah, this many artists yeah, right? right um it's it's funny because for all of the big brouhaha about how the last 20 years or so have been dominated by superhero movies that hasn't really translated over into their soundtracks yeah you know like there was this really weird grandiose soundtrack for um suicide squad that had like icky thump on it and fortunate son Son is another song that needs to be put very far in the corner Mm -hmm. i don't want to hear that one anymore because that song now even though it is profoundly angry, is absolutely meaningless yeah. in the scope of the soundtrack. If, if it's just there to underline, hey guys, we're in the South. Yeah. You know, no, sorry, not yeah. anymore. You know, we're on soundtracks, and this kind of drifts a little bit out of our, our, our yeah, time frame it's, here. It's all just but about the one, curating. The, well, it's no, just the, 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 moment I love, the moment I love in Con Air, one of the many moments I love in Con Air, yeah. is when Steve Buscemi is like, irony, a bunch of convicts singing on a on an airplane, yeah. a song written by a guy who died in an All airplane. Right. Uh, I want to talk about a, bit, a little bit about Cameron Crowe. Sure. How do you feel about him? Obviously, I, I am still I am still in the tank for Cameron Crowe. Mm-hmm. Um, his TV show Roadies actually brought me back quite a bit because I was I was out after yeah. I was out after Aloha. Like I'm I I, I I never even bothered. Don't do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron Crowe, there's times where he's really just not trying. Um, I mean, he, you know, in Elizabethtown, he uses pride yeah. when they're when they when they're talking about Martin Luther King. I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah. Anybody could have thought up that one. I find Vanilla Sky kind of on the nose. Maybe I, not li- I, I thought he was still he was still working mm-hmm. reasonably well. Yeah, there. He's um, he's, st- he's not hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. but that one he's working reasonably yeah. well. And almost famous, I find, kind of uh, falls a bit into like the free pass of Forrest Gump way. Almost Famous is a weird, like, you know, putting aside the fact that it's my favorite movie, it's a weird case because it is, I believe, still the most expensive soundtrack. Yeah. The, the, the money that he got for rights in that song, and he still mm-hmm. couldn't get everything he wanted, is, is off the chain. Yeah. Um, because that movie is supposed to be the love letter to rock and roll, mm-hmm. I'll allow it. Yeah. Okay? But that should have just been encapsulated in its own little package. He keeps going back to those artists and that way of expressing the moment. Yeah. Time and again, like so, like when you fast forward the tape five years and he gets to Elizabethtown, or We he, Bought a Zoo. Yeah, he's using an Elton John song again for this key moment. Yeah. Uh, you, no, buddy, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's and then the weird thing is going back to Aloha. Mm-hmm. He went through all of Aloha without any kind of iconic musical moment at all. Yeah. Like that's that's like watching Sidney Crosby miss an open net. Yeah. I, I, how does I like like this is what he does. Yeah. yeah. So he he gets his way because he's he's very much a part of the musical community. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, he's been doing some very strange things lately, and I kind of wonder if he's able to get outside of himself mm-hmm. anymore. Like he's not bringing new artists. Mm-hmm. You know, the same way that he was in the '90s when he was working with. Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains going back and Chris to Cornell. The same well, yeah. yeah, yeah, going back to like singles and 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 those kinds of movies. Yeah. He was at that time he was very very much of the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like he's of the moment no, as much no. anymore. Yeah. Even though he used Jonesy for We Bought a Zoo. Yeah. So um, he's a, he's a weird. How then though? When you talk about going back to the well, do you feel about Scorsese and his uh, reuse of? Um, Give me shelter, give me shelter over and over and over. Um, well, he hasn't. Has he used the move? Has he made anything where he can use "Give Me Shelter" in a while? Like he didn't work it into silence. That's for damn sure. No. Um, well, it was in. It's in uh, obviously like Goodfellas. It's in. It's in The Departed. It's in The Departed. And, they, uh, and I know I he, even, casino, he asked right? them to play it in in Shine a Light. Okay. Um, Scorsese's another guy. Scorsese, like Scorsese. So like I think the most recent example for him is um, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Oh, right. is it in Wolf of Wall Street? It's, it's it not. Be. It's not. But I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is a very much a Scorsese yeah. soundtrack where sometimes the music overpowers yeah. everything. And then he puts Foo Fighters in there and it does not work. Not work at all. It's <laughs> the strangest inclusion. Yeah. Um, you know, he uses that crazy Italian version of Gloria. Uh, mm-hmm. He uses that, that song that got used for bank commercials after yeah. a while when, uh, when Jean Dujardin is like running away from the authorities. Um, Scorsese's another guy who totally gets his way. I feel like that's the little kind of asterisk that you have to hang on a, on a good soundtrack. It's not fair if you're the kind of power in filmmaking that gets a blank check. Yeah. You know? Like, if you're a person like Scorsese or Spielberg or, or anybody like that, or even in TV, if you're somebody like Aaron Sorkin and you just get what you get, yeah. regardless of the money, that's not fair. Yeah. You know? Try, you should be trying a little harder and bringing yeah. in some new stuff. You should be fighting. Yeah. Uh, are you are you still on board for Scorsese soundtracks or? Uh, I I never really downloaded them. Right. You know what I mean? Because it was usually something I always 
her before. Yeah. So I like when he did stuff like for the Aviator. He got stuff like he got Rufus to do some old mm-hmm. like numbers out of the out of the thirties. Yeah. That was kind of cool. The one place I think I wanted to take this that we haven't gone at all yet. Well, hustle up now because this is going long. So. All right. Um, the find that I shifted in the last like five or six years, uh, and maybe. It started before that, obviously, is how television is really raising the bar when it comes to their soundtracks. Yeah. Um, obviously, you had, like, early on, HBO was, like, The Sopranos was trying to do some cool stuff. Uh, they always take their intro songs very, very seriously. Yeah. Uh, I found, like, of all shows, though, I found, like, Lost really started raising the bar with their song choices, with the way that they choose Mama Cass mm-hmm. or some of these other things that they put in there. And that carried over into the first example I want to talk about was be The Leftovers. I don't know if you've watched any of The Leftovers. Working on it. I'm, I'm, right. I'm like... Two thirds of the way through season one. Yeah. All right. So the in so the first season, well. you know, like uh, you may have heard like the way that they kind of use like uh, Apocalyptica, like the the Metallica covers. Yes. Yeah. Just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in the third season, I won't spoil it for you, but the thing is, they start um, uh, the, in- the intro music for like each episode. Yeah. Uh, they replace the music for every episode, but with the same visuals behind it, and it's sort of very slightly recut and re-edited, like oh. to match the okay. match the song. And so when you watch the second episode of season three of of Leftovers, and you see like the intro that they have cut to the Perfect Strangers theme. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, which and that comes up a lot and, in and the it show. Works. Okay. And, okay. And it just kind of um, uh, the one you know, like the one that you're mentioning that I'm I'm thinking about now when it comes to TV, and it's weird because it actually almost disqualifies my whole thing of sometimes choosing the most obvious choices incorrect. Is did you watch The Handmaid's Tale? Not yet. So a lot of its choices sometimes are very on the nose. Mm-hmm. The first episode ends with "You Don't Own Me." Um, but mm-hmm. in that context, I feel like it really works, and that was yeah. the absolute right song yeah. for that moment. Uh, um, the the people behind, the women behind um, Handmaid's Tale really did a good job. They've usually only got one shot. They've usually only got like one song per episode, mm-hmm. and it's usually if it's not a bullseye, it's like in the it's like you know in the white ring. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, Westworld uses piano versions of Radiohead songs. Love those. Uh, and, and like an Amy, there's an Amy Winehouse song at one point. Yeah, yeah. love those. And they're, they're, and they're all kind of on the nose, but because they're instrumental, mm-hmm. they just they, they just they make you almost like giggle a little bit in the background. Yeah. you feel like you're in on the in on the in joke. On the, in on the joke. Yeah. Um, the Young Pope is a weird <laughs> TV show. Have you watched it? I've watched most of it. I, I, the sexy and I know it scene. Yeah. That is just. Just that's awesome. Oh, oh my god! Yeah. Um, but the one while, thing I while, to, we should um, tell people while the Pope is getting into his like you yeah, know Easter vestments yeah, uh, with layers and layers and layers upon layers. Yeah, yeah, and, just, and the big pointy hat. Yeah, and the silly red shoes. Yeah, it's you know they're they're playing sexy and I yeah. know it. And, and and he's got those scenes early on where he's talking about like why Daft Punk is important. Yeah, and just like it's like this is a show that, that gets it. Yeah. Um, but the main show I think that's been recent that I think is really for me been the soundtrack of the last couple of years it's Big Little Lies so this is an interesting one because we're this is kind of the cross section of everything uh, yeah this because is this is a guy who made Cafe de Floor and working Crazy with, working with David E. Kelly who's yeah. the guy behind Ally McBeal and The Practice mm-hmm. so you've got two people who have like unlimited clout in terms of what sound, kind of soundtrack they yeah. want and but excellent taste excellent taste there are times and it's on theme there are times where their songs are just wailing on a point. And I'm thinking about one of the late episodes is about how we don't know who the kid's father is. Mm-hmm. And my 
god do they keep playing Pop as a Rolling Stone? Yeah. Like, over But that's and not over. on the actual soundtrack. It's not, okay. No. The okay. thing is, when you get down to the actual soundtrack, it's just, they, they focus specifically on the new, like, soul, R&B soul, like, mm-hmm. guys that are killing it right now, like Michael Kiwanuka, uh, Leon Bridges, Charles Bradley. Yeah. The Charles Bradley cover of Ozzy Osbourne's Changes. Oh, God. Uh, which is a wonderful... I gotta get that wonderful now. piece, um, and mixed with like the old like Irma Thomas, like anyone who knows what love is will understand. You see how like the way the, the jump between like, or it's been decades, and they fit in so well together. Yeah. But thing is, there's something about like, like to me, I feel like the like the new soul R and B stuff is just waiting to burst through and take off. Oh yeah. Um, like, it's just so. It's it's. So the, good. I also feel like that's the music that's gonna stick around. These are the artists yeah. that are still gonna be making music and playing on soundtracks for years and years and years yeah. long after we stopped talking about all these are these artists that are more of their moment mm-hmm. um, it's you know like we could be here all day talking about this really we could yeah. we could make a whole podcast about it <laughs> um, but I think you know it's what we're saying is it's a it's alchemy it's a very very delicate mix of what you can get what you should get what suits the story mm-hmm. um, and what's gonna last because and what you should also just go to the the mm-hmm. trouble of including because just because you can use yeah you know you've lost that love and feeling in yeah. your in your moment and yeah. then you don't put it on the album that's yeah. that, that sucks yeah so can you for, think of examples that like were worked in their time but didn't don't work anymore because I almost I, I can't because I, I feel like ones that if you nailed it then it just I mean, like there are scores that I think have an age well obviously from like from like the 80s but sort of like I feel like if you weren't there for that time you might not understand why everybody goes on and on and on about it like I I would I would love to sit a 20 year old down and play them the train spotting soundtrack and see what they say yeah you know I, I or like the one of the movie one of the movies I had actually thought about for a soundtrack that I used to really love um, is go but oh, yeah. because Go is such a soundtrack that's built on raving culture, yeah. I feel like if you sat a twenty-year-old down now and said, "Here, listen to this," he'd be like, yeah. "What the hell is this?" Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like. But that. I feel like you could set them also down with like Days of Confused or, or even Everybody Wants Some, and just because of the way that they're like t- tied into like their specific decades, I think it works. And so well, if, yeah, if, if that works, then why shouldn't Train Spotting? I, I it's I just don't know that that music has endured. That like it, that's um, you know. Days and Confused or Everybody Wants Some, that's a soundtrack. They've already proven, like, all the songs in there have proven themselves yeah, over time. Yeah, yeah. You know, that whole yeah, late 90s so. Britpop, Electronica, yeah. raving culture, yeah. trance culture. He's, he's not including the songs that just kind of came and went from 1970. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those ones might have might have had a harder time. Mm-hmm. Um, folks, we could be here all day. We yeah. really could. It but, would be uh, amazing to think, though, if someone made, like, a train spotting style movie now, like obviously they sort of. Well, I think we, like, we I mean, saw that. Like we, I mean, we saw that what they did with Tree Spotting too, right? Yeah. That soundtrack is not of now. It's not really more of then. It's this weird little hybrid yeah. of both and stuff from before yeah. and stuff from what happened in the middle. You know, it's it's yeah. that that was kind of the cool thing about that movie showing how time moves. But I mean, I would love it if somebody made a movie about that about uh, you know uh, an anti skinhead activist from the late 1990s who's going to ska shows and someone who's making like the best of real big fish mighty mighty boss tones oh my god orange county supertones or whatever uh, they want Muscat plug. that's a just, good you know like and, and someone trying to revive to basically make it look like it was a better 
a better thing than it actually it was. was. <laughs> oh man, I think that's as good a note as any to get out of this. That is episode 179 of the Matinee Cast. Come on back on short rest, July 10th, for episode 180. We're going to be talking about the beguiled people. Uh, I got lots of things to say about that movie. Um, are you you writing anywhere anymore that you want to plug? Um, or podcasting that you want to plug? Uh, I'm going to say that if they just pay attention to not over something might cool be happening but okay uh as as for now you can basically just find me uh You'll retweeting anti-trump stuff on nice. twitter all yeah. day uh what's That's your a, what are, where where can people find you on twitter uh, you can find me at cory pierce art i'm on letterboxd i think i'm just cory pierce on letterboxd there will be links in the show notes yeah. um, um there's also going to be a link in the show notes for uh the way uh, edgar wright edits Lindsay was talking about it um there's a really good visual essay on his uh editing style uh, done by every frame of painting so look for that in the show notes as well yeah. and you got something else you want to uh, not really but I, I want to encourage anybody out there since if they've got some weird musical thing that they find is like like their thing that nobody else knows about okay whether that's current indie electronic anything yeah uh, I want to take this opportunity to like send me something oh yeah yeah just, just I'm, I'm like I don't know you whatever send me a YouTube link to something do it please my favorite three words in the English language. Listen to this. Yeah. Seriously, those are my, yeah. like some and, and like holding me earbuds or headphones or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy. My site, of course, is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca/podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on anything we've talked about, including Baby Driver or your favorite soundtracks, can be sent to Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Um, that's about it. Any final thoughts, buddy? Uh, no. We, uh, we beat the rain quite nicely. I was getting yeah. worried about it. I, uh, I heard some, some thunder nice thunder. Earlier, yeah, some nice ambi- ambiance for the yeah. movie. It's like the background of a Black Sabbath yeah. album. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be standing inside for th- fireworks this year. No. Yeah. For Corey, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. I wanna be